Greetings, fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. Today on Rank Amateur, we don't actually have a ship in World of Warships that we're going over. Yes, we are going over a ship, but it's not going to be in World of Warships, and there's two reasons for that. First of all, the ships that I've recently gotten in World of Warships are not, um, I guess, I'm not super familiar with them yet. I've only had the chance to play just a few battles in them, and I haven't really figured them out yet. So I'm not going to reveal what they are, but I'm, I'm going to say that I have ships that are coming. They're in World of Warships. We're going to be uh, reviewing them and going over how to play them uh, in probably my next episode or so. So another fortnight. Just a little bit of a wait. But I realized, uh, scrolling back through my episodes to figure out what I'm going to do because I don't have a, a ship in World of Warships to do an episode on, I realized I had done a lot of special episodes that were on specifically World of Warships stuff. And I know there's a good chunk of you who just come from the naval history stuff and largely skip over those episodes so today we're going to do the polar opposite of that and we're going to go over basically just a naval history topic and that is the uss wisconsin it's the fourth iowa class battleship and um the final battleship to be constructed by the u.s navy not the final battleship to be put out of service that was uh uss missouri but the final battleship to be constructed so we'll be going over uh that ship service um and that's particularly fond or i'm particularly fond of it just because it is named in honor of my home state so uh yeah that will be what we're going over today but first we're going to go over world of warships news and oh wait there is no world of warships news uh yeah, there's, I mean, it's just random stuff that they've gone over. There's dry docks that they've done, some raffle challenges, a brawl with uh, 4v4, 2-4 ships. I believe that's even expired now. It's went for like three days or something like that. Yeah, uh, through the 14th of November. Um, yeah, so it, it's over now by the time you're probably listening to this episode. Um, yeah, the, basically the new thing in World of Warships, I, I mean, I guess uh, 11.10 went live. Um, I think that's probably the final update before, um, or at least the second to last, or if not the final update before New Year's update, uh, which should come in December, so it might be a little while before we get the next update, but yes, uh, we have new Japanese light cruisers, and boy are they squishy. Uh, I mean, they are Japanese, and they are light cruisers, so I don't know why I'm surprised. Uh, I mean, they do seem kind of decent, though. Uh, their party trick is just having lots of guns, like lots of guns. I think the tier, the tier 10 has 18 guns, 18 155mm, I think is what it is. They are on a 7-second reload, I want to say. So, yeah, a pretty long reload, but high alpha damage here. 
So it's not going to be really a DPM style ship. It's more just going to be just throwing a ton of shells at once and hoping that they penetrate. They do have good fire chance and stuff. Um, the tier the the tier five through seven don't seem to be that great. Um, just just on the surface and observations of people playing them um, and just looking at stats, they don't seem to be that particularly great. They have a long reload, not a whole lot of guns. Uh, some of them do, uh, but the uh, tiers uh, 9 and 10 and even like tier 8 and sometimes the tier 7 seem to be pretty decent. Uh, tier 10 particularly has a lot of guns. So I believe that's going to just be its party trick there. So that seems pretty good. Uh, we got U.S. and German submarines in the tech tree. And um, graphics improvements and stuff. I'll, I went over all this stuff in my last episode if you're going to go check that out. Um, yeah, still working towards the forest German for me. Um, oh, by the way, waves can interact with uh, buoys apparently. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and they also bounce off islands and there's surf effects and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so... Uh, still working towards the forest chairman, getting close to that. Um, for those of you wondering, no, I'm not buying premium battle pass. I don't, unfortunately, uh, with uh, school and everything like that that's going on, I don't play the game enough to justify that. So uh, when I do play the game, I get decently far in it, but I just I don't really want to spend two thousand doubloons every uh, every update. So I did I did fork over sixteen hundred doubloons for a premium ship and. For those of you who are wondering, no, that's not a tier two premium ship. I had a discount, and I already I had opened a super container for uh, three thousand doubloons, so that was pretty cool. Uh, so yes, it's a tier six. Uh, if you want to go uh, cast your bets as to what premium ship I got, you're more than welcome to. Uh, although I do not condone gambling for the legal reasons. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it for World of Warships. Anything else? I mean, is uh, not super remarkable. Uh, the only funny thing I thought uh, happened was that they went over the Garizia or Grizia or whatever, however you pronounce it. It's a tier 7 premium Italian thing. Um, it, it's tier 7 Zara cruiser. Uh, they don't actually offer that ship anymore. It was removed from the game. I don't know why they didn't uh, a dry dock video on it. It's kind of strange that they did that. And they're trying to advertise for a ship that they aren't actually selling um that is kind of weird i must admit uh, i can just verify in the premium shop that uh no the garizia does not exist in world of warships in the capacity in which you could buy it because you click on tier seven and you go to italy uh, there, there's there's the duca de aperuzzi and the fr25 no Garizia at all, or Garizia. And by the way, the FR-25 was one of the least played ships in World of Warships. It doesn't look very good, or, or maybe it is very good, and people just don't know how to play it. Um, if you go to... Uh, I'm actually doing a statistics project on uh, the uh, relation to, or relationship or lack thereof between the uh, number of battles played in World of Warships and the average damage of that ship over the entire North American community. But if you go to wowsstats.com and you uh, look at the uh, World of War, or you look at the warships, you, you go click on Italy, you realize it has like 3,000 battles played over the entire um, the, the entire server. And I, f I forget how much. It's, it's really, really not much. And, 
Yeah, the, the FR-25 has literally 3,988 battles played in in the North American server with an average damage of just 27,000. Which is kind of disappointing. Uh, the Palo Emilio, what I find funny, is a premium destroyer on the Research Bureau. Which is hard to get to for a lot of players. A lot of players don't even try the Research Bureau. I mean, uh, you guys probably do because we're all committed players here. But a lot of people don't even bother with the Research Bureau because there's a grind. Has the most battles played of any Italian destroyer in the game. Even the the uh, Lion... Uh, or well, whatever, however you pronounce the Italian translation that, has 21,000 battles played. And the FR-25 has... And the Lion's objectively, horrifically bad. And the FR-25 has 3,988. I, I find that very funny. Uh, and another thing I found funny was the... Uh, the number of battles that were played in the DZP uh, is not the least amount of all the uh, Dutch cruisers. The Ginderland, the Tier 2, has 4,500 battles played over the whole North American server. The DZP has 92,781, which is uh, interesting. That's above the Celebes, which has 88k. The, just some interesting notes that I'm going over in this website. And the, I mean, the most played ship on the North American server is the Bismarck. Yeah, the Bismarck has like, I want to say 8 million, 7 million, 159,152 games played with a 50% win rate, which is kind of funny. Uh, and an average damage of 52,750, which is interesting. Very interesting. I mean, uh, the obviously the most played ships in the game are all... Uh, uh, American or Japanese, except the Bismarck. Um, the most played ships in the game, as far as like uh, top 10 are concerned, uh, goes Bismarck, North Carolina, Shimikaze, New Mexico, Montana, Yamato, Des Moines, Colorado, Iowa, and Omaha. Yeah, so that, that's pretty interesting. Uh, and most of them do not have positive win rate values. Most of them lose more games than they win, except for the New Mexico for some reason and the Bismarck. I'm surprised that the Des Moines has a has a not favorable win rate, below 50%. That's interesting. Interesting notes, but let's get on to the subject of today's video. USS Wisconsin BB-64. So she was named for the state of Wisconsin, obviously. For those of you who do not know what the state of Wisconsin is, it's a uh, state of roughly a population of 7 million people on the coast of Lake Superior and Lake Michigan in the Midwest region of the United States of America. And it's a state in which I call home. Uh, and uh, she was ordered on the 12th of June, 1940. Uh, she was built at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. She was laid down on the 25th of January, 1941, launched on the 7th of December, 1943, the second anniversary of, Pearl Har of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, she is sponsored by the wife of the current governor of Wisconsin. She's commissioned on the 16th of April, 1944, uh, and recommissioned and decommissioned like seven times after that, so I won't go through this. Uh, she was finally stricken from the naval list on the 17th of March 2006, meaning that technically she could be reactivated, even though she was a museum ship, from 1992 to 2006. Very interesting. Uh, I do believe technically she could theoretically be reactivated still. Uh, it, it'd be kind of... Uh, they'd have to jump through a bunch of legal loopholes or just have a really pressing issue, but they theoretically could uh, reactivator now. Uh, I mean, obviously the likelihood of doing such a thing is uh, very minimal, 
and they would probably just build new battleships if they needed them, but uh, theoretically it could happen. Um, yeah, so and as alluded to uh, previously, she is a museum ship at Nauticus Museum in Norfolk, Virginia, or Norfolk, Virginia, depending on how you pronounce it, where you're from. Uh, I've actually been, had the pleasure of visiting the ship. Would totally recommend it. It's an awesome museum. It just puts the scale of these warships in perspective. I mean, you, you're playing it in World of Warships, or well, playing the Iowa in the World of Warships, basically the same thing, and you don't realize how absolutely massive these ships are. Like, you can see these things from low Earth orbit. They say the detectability range is only, what, 12 kilometers or something like that for an Iowa-class battleship in World of Warships? It is way bigger than that in real life. Um, I would, unless, you know, unless commission, uh, conditions are not great for spotting things, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 20 kilometers or more is insane. All right. So she's an Iowa class battleship. As we know, uh, she had a displacement of 45,000 long tons light. And then when you fully loaded her, it was 57,500 long tons. Um, the length was 887 feet, three inches, which is, I think like what, like six and a half feet longer. Then, uh, no, no, five and a half feet longer than Titanic. I think the Titanic was 882, no, 881. So less than 10 feet longer than the Titanic. So roughly the size of the Titanic, uh, except she carried 16-inch guns. Uh, she had a beam of 108 feet 2 inches, which is absolutely absurd, uh, given how fast she could go. Uh, the length was 270.43 uh, meters and width or beam was uh, 32.97 meters for those of you in Europe and uh, actually everywhere else in the world. Uh, the draft was 37 feet 9 inches or 11.51 uh, meters full load. Yeah, these things uh, took up a lot of water the, uh, compared to the dreadnoughts, which really didn't take up much water for given their size. Um, she had a complement of 1,921 crew members, including officers. Um, and, uh, as, uh, yeah, as, uh, like, modernized in the 1980s, uh, she carried an ANSPS-49 air search radar, an ANSPS-67 surface search radar, and an uh, ANSPQ-9 surface search less gun fire control radar. Uh, these were later added in modernizations. You did not have modern 1980s technologies in, 19, in the 1940s, obviously. Uh, she did carry electronic warfare and decoy equipment. Um, the She carried the ANSLQ-32, uh, which was a... Raytheon sponsored, uh, Raytheon sponsored, Raytheon constructed uh, electronic warfare site built uh, in California by the Hughes Aircraft Company. Um, it is uh, the prim currently the primary electronic warfare system in use by U.S. Navy ships. So, and she's been out around for a while, and it's also referred to the Slick 32, uh, which is uh, interesting. And uh, so you may ask, why is this still in service with the U.S. Navy? Well, um, because they're fairly simple, actually. I say fairly simple. It's sophisticated, they're sophisticated processing systems, but all it is is it's just a radar detector, and it's looking for uh, beams of uh, low-frequency, high-band radar uh, targeting uh, beams that are being uh, at the ship. And essentially, when it just detects those, it's going to throw a warning and say that we are being pinged by enemy radar, and there could be anti-ship missiles on the way. And uh, there, there's um, different frequencies that are used depending on if a targeting system or if a missile is actually uh, ping the ship. Obviously, the warnings would be uh, more severe if there was actually a missile being locked onto the ship and fired and track and, and actually tracking the ship versus just a a targeting radar just kind of pinging it. 
But um, yeah, so I mean, it doesn't really change that much because it is just a radar detector. It's not like a targeting system or anything. Um, yeah, but it is interesting to know that they've been on there that long. And why do I know that much about them? Uh, because uh, defense targeting systems are very interesting to me. Um, and she also carried an ANSLQ-25 Nixie uh, torpedo decoy system and a 8 Mark 36 SRBOC super uh, rapid bloom offboard chaff rocket launchers. That sounds like an Amazon title <laughs> for like a like a, pr- a cheap product or something like that. Super rapid bloom offboard chaff rocket launchers. Now just $39.99 on Amazon. But uh, no, these are actually that's actually the r- real name of the Mark 36 SRBLC, um, which is what SRBLC stands for. Uh, as of 1943, her armament consisted of nine 16 inch or a 406 millimeter 50 caliber Mark 7 guns, 25 inch or 127 millimeter 38 caliber Mark 12 guns, 80 yes you heard it right 80 40 millimeter 56 caliber anti-aircraft guns and 49 20 millimeter 70 caliber anti-aircraft guns yeah a lot of the crew was just because the ship had a lot of anti-aircraft guns um in 1988, however, uh, she carried nine 16-inch, 406-millimeter, 50-caliber Mark 7 guns, same guns as before. Uh, the number of 5-inch guns was reduced to only 12 5-inch, 127-millimeter, 38-caliber Mark 12 guns. Uh, and most, or actually all of the anti-aircraft guns were replaced with 32 BGM-109 Tomahawk cruise missiles, uh, 16 RGM-84 Harpoon anti-ship missiles, and four 20-millimeter, 76-caliber... Phalanx, uh, close-in weapon systems. Yes, uh, the USS Wisconsin did carry the Phalanx. Um, yeah, that that's not absurd enough for you. I don't know uh, what is. It's just the ship was really crazy when it was uh, modernized in 1988 because you just had the sheer firepower of the uh, 406s with the intelligence of an RGM-84 Harpoon and a BGM-109 Tomahawk. Uh, if that doesn't slightly alarm you, I don't know what will. Or if it doesn't scare you as an enemy, I don't know what will. Um, as far as armor, she had all of it. Okay, well, she really didn't have all of it because she was a fast battleship. But um, uh, she had 12.1 inch or 307 millimeter uh, belts. She had a bulkheads that were 14 and a half inches thick or 368 millimeters. Her barbettes carried 11.6 to 17.3 inches of armor, or, 239, or 295 to 439 millimeters of armor. The turrets had 19.5 inches of armor on their face, or 495 millimeters. Uh, her decks uh, had 38 millimeters of armor, or uh, between 38 to 152 millimeters of armor, so uh, one and a half inches to six inches of armor on the deck alone. So, yeah, uh, in-game when she has 38 millimeters of armor all around, that is not accurate. Um, she would be able to shatter Kremlin shells, I believe, on her on her deck as far as um, high explosive is concerned. So, yeah, uh, just kind of absurd amounts of armor. It, it, it's been heavily nerfed in World of Warships, uh, for the Iowa class, that is. But, um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't really used in her history because a bit of a spoiler alert... Um, she was only ever hit once, and that was by a 152mm shell, which did actually penetrate part of the superstructure, but did only superficial damage because it penetrated in like a mess hall, and then detonated there, and, and mildly injured uh, two crew members, 
or three crew members, that is, uh, before having that shore battery blown out of the water, or blown out of the water, blown off the face of the earth, uh, to the point where they did not recognize where the shore battery was um, after the smoke had cleared. They had trouble determining that, yes, that was where the shore battery was before. Uh, it does no longer exist. Um, yeah. And that was the uh, Temper Temper incident, which we'll be talking about later. So the USS Wisconsin finally entered service on the 24th of September, 1944, which was less than a year before the war's conclusion. And by that time, the war was pretty much a foregone conclusion. The Japanese Navy was a shadow of itself. Um, yeah, this is the commissioning of the Iowa-class battleships kind of destroyed the last part of the Japanese fantasy about, you know, meeting the uh, Americans in a, a final one-on-one -on -one decisive battle to decide the fate of the war in surface ship combat in a war that was clearly dominated by aircraft carriers. Um, so basically they thought that, well, yes, the, the U.S. has superior aircraft carriers, but we'll meet them in a surface uh, battle and destroy their carriers and destroy their fleets and be able to, you know, like, take over a country of, uh, you know, 100-something million or 200-something million people. Um, and they were they were wrong. The U.S. Navy then decided to commission a few battleships and show them that, no, they couldn't even be our battleship fleet. We had four of the most sophisticated and fastest battleships in the world. Um, I didn't actually go over the actual speed of the uh, battleship, regrettably. Uh, yeah, 33 knots, so 38 miles an hour. Um... Pretty crazy, yeah. So it could outrun anything, couldn't outfight, and um, it well it couldn't outfight any, or uh, it couldn't be outfought by anything. So it didn't need to outrun anything. It was more just uh, going to hunt something. Anyways, uh, but on the twenty fourth of September, nineteen forty four, uh, Wisconsin sailed for the west coast and transmitted or transmitted transited the Panama Canal to report for duty on October second to the Third Fleet, which was then. Uh, or uh, to Hawaii to then transit the Pacific Ocean to Othili, which was a Caroline Island, to join the Third Fleet, which was then commanded by the legendary William F. Halsey. Uh, quick side note, there's a really cool image of, or well, maybe a really cool image, I don't know what you guys would think about it, but of uh, the USS Wisconsin tied up alongside the uh, floating hulk of the USS Oklahoma, uh, which was being stripped down to be scrapped uh, while she was uh, awaiting her deployment uh, to the uh, far Pacific. Uh, this was in Pearl Harbor in 1944, but it's just interesting how long it took to really recover from the uh, aftermath of the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. Um, yeah, so because she was built really late, essentially, uh, she missed most of the uh, thrust into Japanese territory, um, just coming in essentially in the middle of the invasion of the Philippines, uh, while she was... Um, uh, like this, essentially, she just arrives and they're invading the Philippines, and she is essentially just supporting uh, uh, Task Force 38, uh, which is the fast carrier task force of the uh, Third Fleet, and just assisting them in anti-aircraft duties and anti-surface ship combat. Uh, well, she never really engaged in that, but uh, assisting them in fending off potential anti-ship combat. Uh, as they conducted air raids on Melania, 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 Manila, Manila, the capital of the Philippines, the really big city in the Philippines, um, to uh, soften up the Japanese positions there. And then on the 18th of December, the, suddenly the ships of Task Force 38 found themselves in the fight for their lives 
Um, relatively, I mean, ships don't have lives, but everyone on them does, uh, during Typhoon Cobra, which, uh, had overtaken the force when they were refueling. Um, they had just completed three days of heavy raids against Japanese airfields, suppressing enemy aircraft, uh, during the American amphibious operations against Mindoro. Um, yeah, so they were going, they were literally refueling as this typhoon came through. Uh, mind you, this fleet consisted of seven, uh, fleet and six light carriers, eight battleships, 15 cruisers, and about 50 destroyers. Um, and so they were caught light. Uh, there was no, um, there was no fuel in any of these destroyers or any of these ships tanks, or well, I shouldn't say no fuel, but, uh, they were lighter than normal. A lot of the times they bring, uh, they had pumped ballast out to make, essentially make room, uh, for new fuel, uh, make room relatively like ensure that they were buoyant enough to take on uh, more fuel, and they were very uh, high in the water when this happened. Um, this, But initially, it didn't start that rough. So it just got rougher and rougher and rougher, um, and it wasn't supposed to be that violent, but it ended up that three destroyers, the Hull, Monaghan, and Spence, capsized and sank with nearly all hands, while a cruiser, five aircraft carriers, and three destroyers suffered serious damage. Uh, and about 790 men were lost or killed, with another 80 injured. Uh, fires occurred in three carriers where planes broke loose in their hangars and smashed other ones and fuel tanks and stuff. And uh, 146 planes on various ships were lost or damaged beyond economical repair by fires, impact, damage, or simply being swept overboard. Uh, Wisconsin reported two injured sailors, sailors as a result of the typhoon. Um, but otherwise was unscathed. So, uh, by the way, the Monaghan, uh, is in World of Warships as well. It's a Farragut-class destroyer. Uh, it's actually the last Farragut-class destroyer to be, uh, built. Actually, all these, um, uh, Farragut, or two of these were Farragut-class destroyers, but the Spence was actually a modern Fletcher-class design, uh, of which was literally, um, two years old at the time. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, kind of interesting. It's just, just, uh, proving of the Wisconsin seaworthiness. Obviously, it's an enormous battleship. It's going to take a lot to capsize it in a storm. Uh, the next operation was to assist with the occupation of the Luzon, and that was just, um, yeah, literally just supporting uh, landings. Um, was also escorting, uh, Task Force 38's fast carriers during airstrikes, um, yeah, by the way, the main purpose of the uh, Iowa-class battleships was not necessarily their huge guns. They proved nice for shore bombardment, but the, uh, the the main purpose was the fact that they were fast and they had lots of anti-aircraft guns. They were just floating anti-aircraft batteries. Uh, they were very effective at what they did. I mean, relatively, uh, fighters were always more effective uh, because they can uh, engage the enemy aircraft one-on-one -on -one and uh, pursue them until they are shot down. Um... But uh, older, older battleships could not keep up with fast, fast carrier task forces, uh, so they couldn't pr uh, provide any anti-aircraft support. They couldn't serve as a floating anti-aircraft battery. So that's more or less what the Wisconsin served as. It's just a floating anti-aircraft battery. And uh, this, she served in this role when her carrier group launched attacks on Saigon, Camara Bay, French Indochina, uh, or yeah, various locations within French Indochina, Hong Kong, Canton, Hinian, uh, Hanian uh, Islands, uh, Canton Oil Refineries, Hong Kong Naval Station, and Okinawa, Okinawa in general. Um, yeah, so she 
was just a big gun, more or less. Like, or well, lots of very tiny guns, more or less. Um, and she was very useful in that role. It doesn't they don't really know how many planes she dot, shot down, but they know it was a lot of planes. So after this, uh, she was reassigned to the 5th Fleet under the command of Raymond A. Spurrance, uh, and uh, essentially uh, moved northward with uh, redesignated Task Force 58 now uh, to the Tokyo area, and they maneuvered under the cover of adverse weather conditions and uh, achieved perfect tactical surprise and shot down 322 enemy planes and destroyed 177 more on the ground and they had a giant turkey in a barrel shoot a turkey in a barrel fish in a barrel shoot um because they were able to sink a ton of naval and merchant ships uh destroy tons of hangars and aircraft installations in the tokyo area because the japanese simply couldn't do anything about it they were completely surprised and unprepared it was like a reverse uh reverse uh, pearl harbor more or less um, she then moved south to Iwo Jima on the 17th of February, uh, 1945 to provide direct support for the landings there to take place on the 19th of February. Uh, after they got bored with shelling Iwo Jima, they revisited Tokyo and decided that they might be, that it might be fun to hit the island of Hanchino off the coast of Honshu and, uh, the next day. Uh, this resulted in heavy damage to ground facilities and, um... American planes sinking five vessels and destroying 158 planes. Um, yeah, so they were, they just decided that the Japanese at Tokyo had recovered too much from their previous strikes. So they decided that they might like to do a little more recovering from strikes and struck them again. Uh, very American thing to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, very, uh, successful task force task force 58 it was one of the primary components of the u.s navy at the time um and they they got around they really did uh they actually managed to hit enemy fleets at kerr and kobe on or kobe it's i think it's kobe yeah it's spelled kobe but it's probably kobe uh and after uh sorting out of uh uthili on the 14th of march um and uh yeah on the 18th and 19th of march they they um were hitting enemy airfields south of Kyushu, but um, did take a major hit, and that was the fact that there was a large kamikaze attack that occurred on the carrier USS Franklin. Um, yeah, it was it was not a good day for that task force. That carrier would essentially be a loss for the war. Uh, didn't actually sink. Damage control efforts managed to contain the fires and the damage, or fires and flooding. But uh, the carrier was deemed too on a, uh, too damaged to repair, and I believe it was eventually scrapped. Um, and uh, that afternoon, the Wisconsin and the entire task force uh, retired from Kyushu because they decided that maybe losing an operation, operationally losing a carrier, was not something that they were willing to do. And essentially, they just retired for the uh, for the day, not without shooting down an additional forty-eight attackers, though. Um, yeah, so that was that was pretty pretty successful i mean they, they paid definitely dearly for that uh that cost uh, of killing 700 of our men on a carrier but uh, it, i believe it took days to actually contain that fire on the uh franklin it was it was not a good scene there's actually a video of it burning it is a very intense fire do not know how they managed to actually save that ship but they uh u.s damage control efforts always very good and uh it's something that they practiced and made them different than the uh, japanese ships which is not a very good damage control teams uh, you know, that'd be interesting in World of Warships if uh, Japanese damage control teams were, like, uh, slower or something like that, but had, like, a faster reload or something to imitate how their their damage control was, was not good. And, uh, I mean, U.S. damage control is better on uh, American battleships, so, I mean, I guess that's realistic. Um, not, 
yeah, so uh, interesting that U.S. damage control teams in real life were actually good, like uh, they are in World of Warships. Um, so on the 24th of March, uh, Wisconsin trained their 406mm guns on targets aboard, targets aboard, targets on shore in Okinawa. And um, there was not many things left on Okinawa after she was done, um, although... Y- Japanese were heavily entrenched in Okinawa, so there's likely some very deep tunnels. But uh, the surface installations and pillboxes probably didn't exist as much. Um, yeah, so while TF-58's planes, so Task Force 58's planes, were dealing with the Yamato after um, the uh, bombardment of Okinawa, uh, Japanese aircraft attacked American uh, surface units. Uh, Comet Air Patrol managed to shoot down 15 planes, and the ship's gunfire shot down another three, but not before uh, one kamikaze penetrated the uh, Comet Air Patrol and crashed into the flight deck of the carrier Hancock. Um, yeah. Yeah, kamikaze is not fun to deal with because you do have to destroy the plane. You don't. You cannot just sh- simply damage it uh, because a, a damaged kamikaze is still an effective kamikaze, unfortunately. And that's uh, what the carrier Hancock uh, learned the hard way, as did the Intrepid, the Bunker Hill, and the Enterprise, um, all being attacked on successful successive days, even though. Um, the uh, combat air patrol and the ship's gunfire had shot down another 17 planes and another 12 planes, respectively. Uh, it didn't really matter that much because there was 151 of them attacking. Uh, they, they tried, the anti-aircraft gunners tried their best, but the numbers were simply too high, and these uh, kamikazes did get through. But it's kind of amazing that out of 151 aircraft, only four actually managed to get through that screen. Um, it just shows you how effective the screen actually is. Um, and it shows you how high the stakes are that if even four of the 151 get through, I can still basically render, uh, four carriers useless. Um, and, uh, by the 4th of June, another typhoon had come around to rear its ugly head. Uh, Wisconsin did ride out the storm unscathed, but three cruisers, two carriers, and a destroyer suffered serious damage once again. And, uh, offensive operations were able to be resumed on the 8th of June, although, uh, with a final aerial assault on Kyushu, because Kyushu just had not been bashed in the ground enough. Uh, Japanese aerial response was, um, uh... Non-existent, we'll say. Uh, 29 planes were located and destroyed. Um, but, um, y- yeah. Um, if your planes have to be found to destroy them, they're probably not really doing a good job of defending your positions. So, yeah, there there was no resistance, essentially. They just kept bombing uh, Kyushu. Um, interesting note, um, on June 8th, uh, one of the Wisconsin's Volt planes landed and rescued a downed pilot from the carrier USS Shangri-La, or Shangri-La, excuse me. And, uh, it was at this point in the war that, um, Wisconsin finally put down into Leyte Gulf and dropped anchor there on June 13th to be repaired and replenished. Uh, she did sail on the 1st of July to the Japanese home islands, uh, to conduct carrier strikes on the Japanese home, uh, homeland. However, it was realized that there was no Japanese resistance left, and there was no risk to surface ships doing the same thing. Uh, surface ships are really effective at uh, destroying enemy uh, positions because of the fact that they have r- relatively rapid-fire guns uh, compared to, you know, reloading an aircraft. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they began to, after sh- after shooting down 72 aircraft, um, she began to smash industrial sites in the Tokyo area. Uh, yeah, so you, you get a common theme here. The, <laughs> the job of the USS Wisconsin when not shooting down aircraft is to smash, smash, smash. 
Um, so she, they, they literally made no attempt to conceal their position at all because they knew that the Japanese had a negligible uh, resistance to their comparative, or not even comparative, just armada of ships that they had. Um, she uh, fired at steel mill, uh, steel mills in uh, Moran Hokkaido, uh, uh, and she wrecked industrial facilities at the Hitachi Mar- uh, Miro area, uh, which was on the coast of Honshu Island, and uh, just northeast of Tokyo itself. Um, and then the British decided that the Americans were having far too much fun doing that alone, and decided to contribute their fire with sending British battleships to the British Pacific Fleet to contribute. Um... Yeah, they they were able to destroy the Japanese homeland at will. There was nothing stopping them. Um, yeah, so if you were within reach of the Japanese or of the Wisconsin's twenty-four mile range, you you were liable to be shelled at any moment. Essentially, they had the right or the privilege, but not the obligation to remove anything within range from existence <laughs> on a whim. It, it was it was curtains for the Japanese at this point. Um, yeah, they they were done. It was not long before the Wisconsin became part of the occupying force of Japan and arrived at Tokyo Bay on the fifth of September, uh, which was three days after the formal surrender. So if you see any pictures that point or that claim to have Wisconsin in the picture of the formal surrender, uh, that's not true. Um, she uh, yeah. So that that was pretty much it for World War Two. But um, interesting facts is that she'd steamed 105, only 105,831 miles uh, since her commissioning by the end of World War II. Uh, to put that in perspective, my car has more miles on it. Um, I guess for 100,000 miles, that's not that much. But um, yeah, she shot down th- only three enemy planes. Um, yeah, so... I guess, I, for, for a surface ship, that was actually a lot. Um, because remember, a lot of times when there was an airstrike, the surface ships combined would only shoot down like 12 planes. To sh- so to shoot down three planes is a lot. Um, and her service after World War II, at least until 1950, uh, was not interesting. Uh, she was part of Operation Magic Carpet, which is just bringing sailors and soldiers home, and um, that was uh, pretty much it for her. Uh, just conducted training cruises, midshipman cruises, and then was placed out of uh, service on the 1st of July, uh, 1948. That was pretty much it. However, her term in mothballs would be relatively short, because North Korea decided to get um, rather rowdy and invaded South Korea in June of 1950. Uh, She was recommissioned on the 3rd of March 1951 with Captain Thomas Burroughs in command. Uh, She performed two shakedown cruises and uh, then departed Norfolk on the 25th of October, uh, bound for the Pacific, and she transited the Panama Canal on the 29th of October to reach Yokosuka. Uh, She relieved the New Jersey as a flagship for Admiral H.M. Martin, commander of the 7th Fleet. Um, she more or less, uh, operated in support of the Fast Carrier Task Force 77. Um, and, um, she was essentially, uh, providing gunfire support for the Republic of Korea Corps, as well as providing support for the, um, Carrier Task Force. Um, she did leave the company of the Carrier Task Force to provide said gunfire support on the 2nd of December, accompanied by the Gearing-class destroyer U.S. Wiltsey. Um, and then she resumed the station on the Korean, um, 
bomb line, uh, providing support for the uh, American 1st Marine Division after uh, just disembarking uh, the Admiral because she she was no longer the flagship on December 3rd. Um, she Her kills counted for at least one tank, probably more, uh, many gun emplacements, uh, buildings, and uh, troop car- concentrations, as well as artillery positions. Um, actually, at one occasion, uh, she received a rather unusual request, and that was to fire star shells. Uh, imagine the gunners were like, what? You want us to do what? And then they said, yeah, we want you to fire star shells and illuminate, or illuminate any positions. And for those of you who don't know what star shells are, uh, imagine just a really, really big firework. Um, and I, I say firework, but I mean more like, essentially what it does is it goes up into the air, and then it just uh, explodes into a really, really bright light for a long time, enough to illuminate the something beneath you, and then, uh, you know, so you can target it. Uh, this was used before, uh, primarily before uh, targeting radar was really a thing. The Japanese used this to great effect, actually, uh, in the early days of World War II when they were really good at night fighting. Um, they would uh, fire star shells over the backdrop in the enemy ship in this to just silhouette them, point their crosshairs on them, uh, find the range on them, and then just splat them, essentially. Um, Yeah, so the first uh, Republic of Korea Corps asked for uh, star shells to eliminate enemy positions, so they were like, okay, and loaded the star shells, fired where they asked, and um, they actually managed to repel an enemy attack with considerable considerable enemy casualties. Uh, she briefly departed the, quote, bomb line support, which is essentially just uh, shore bombardment duties, uh, replaced by the heavy cruiser, a Baltimore-class heavy cruiser, USS St. Paul, uh, then rejoined uh, quickly, and uh, then just spent her days uh, shelling uh, enemy bunkers, command posts, artillery positions, and trench systems until the 14th of December. She then departed the bomb line to resume, um, uh, or to for initially to uh, begin shelling enemy targets in support of a special United nations uh troops up ashore just a special invasion that they were doing and then um she uh returned to the former combat zone that she was in and just began supporting more republic of korea uh uh, divisions and invasions with more illumination shells, um, which was kind of interesting i actually before uh researching the ship did not know that um battleships fired night illumination shells i figured it was mostly cruisers and i I figured for sure that after radar targeting systems they weren't even like stocked anymore essentially in the magazines but apparently i was wrong um they embarked all sorts of senators and admirals and even a cardinal catholic cardinal uh over the course of their uh stay in korea uh, and then she returned to the bomb line again uh, after escorting carriers and then escorted carriers and then returned to the bomb line and then escorted carriers and returned to the bomb line and then departed the bomb line to go shell enemy railway positions and then returned to the bomb line. And <laughs> you, you, you get a common theme here by any chance? Um, she then destroyed a Chinese, Chinese, uh, a North Korean railway train, railway train, all tra- trains are railway trains, but um, uh, armored troop transport train uh, that was trapped outside of a destroyed ch- tunnel and then uh, she received her first direct in- hit in history when one of four shells from a North Korean 152mm battery struck the side of a starboard 40mm mount um, three men were injured uh, n- no men died actually uh, they had an interview with one of the guys injured he got a piece of shrapnel lodged in his eye but still managed to keep the eye somehow and can see out of it still um uh, subsequently, she turned all nine of her guns on that mount and um, 
destroyed it. There was nothing left of it. Um, and then she returned to Japan on the 19th of March to, uh, for very minor repairs. And then, uh, she was, uh, she returned home, uh, arriving on the 19th of April, 1952, um, in Long Beach before continuing on to Norfolk, uh, to, uh, essentially just end her service in the, uh, Korean War. Uh, literally the most interesting thing that happened to this ship from the years of 1952 to 1981 um, was a uh, second most inter- not even second most interesting thing, but one of the most interesting things that happened uh, was in April 1956, or uh, rather no, May 1956. On the 6th of May 1956, the battleship collided with the destroyer USS Eaton in heavy fog off of uh, the Virginia coast. Um, she had extensive bow damage, because remember, the bow of these ships was actually very thin, and um, uh, entered dry dock in the Norfolk Naval Shipyard. Um, however, repairs were short, even though the damage was lengthy, because uh, there was an incomplete sister ship, uh, U.S. K- Kentucky, that was still in the uh, in the shipyards, being very slowly constructed, um, and essentially it was decided that they didn't really need the battleship Kentucky, and that they were going to cut off a 68-foot section of the bow and solve it, or solve it, uh, weld it on to the bow of, or cut off the bow of Wisconsin and then weld that section of the Kentucky's bow onto the Wisconsin, and um, then that would void, that would essentially make it so they did not need to repair the bow of Wisconsin. Um, it, this novel experiment worked. It was completed in an eye boggling or mind-boggling mind-boggling what mind-boggling 16 days um why they felt the need to do it that fast i have no idea um they're they were literally only scheduled for a midshipman cruise that summer but um yeah that is uh, that's what happened a destroyer eaton actually did not sink somehow uh but extensive damage to the forward uh or to the bow section of the ship was received uh, basically knocking out both forward turrets um yeah uh so yeah that's where wisconsin earns her nickname the whiskey um that's where it comes from because if you look at the actual when when they write out the name whiskey it is uh like capital w i s capital k y so whiskey it's the abbreviations of the two states um that these both these ships are named for so the wisconsin that we see today in uh, newport news or actually norfolk it is technically two different ships or parts of two different ships it's like 92 percent wisconsin eight percent kentucky um which <laughs> i find kind of interesting um yeah that was that was one of the only interesting things the only other interesting i could find the only other interesting i could find about this period in the ship's history is uh that um it uh was called upon to sink a uh, kc9f stratofreighter uh, which had ditched in the Atlantic on the 9th of May, uh, southeast of the Azores Islands, following a, du- uh, following a double engine failure, and uh, floated for 10 days. So apparently they uh, decided that, um, I don't know, they just wanted it gone or something? I don't know. Kind of a strange request. But then she was uh, essentially put in reserve uh, in 1958, and sat there until 1980. Uh, she did suffer an electrical fire while in reserve, and that left her in the worst condition of all Iowa-class battleships, uh, at the time reactivation came. 
uh, during which time she was reassessed um, by the U.S. Navy as being uh, suitable for uh, reactivation. They did also reassess the USS Des Moines for this, but it was determined that the Iowa-class battleships for their purposes were just better, and the USS Des Moines was never reactivated, even though it was still in decent condition. Um, yeah, so she fitted all the missiles or and missiles and systems and things like that that uh, I mentioned previously, as well as eight RQ-2 Pioneer unmanned aerial vehicles. Uh, essentially, they were re uh, replaced helicopters that previously used to spot for her nine 406mm guns. So instead of uh, seeing a spotter plane, you now saw a little tiny drone. Imagine that, you just hear like a little buzz that sounds like a bunch of bees, and you realize that death is not far behind. And some of you may be wondering, why were these ships reactivated? Uh, the simple answer is uh, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Ronald Reagan decided that he wanted a 600-ship Navy. And he said, what do we got in reserve? And the Navy's like, we got these battleships, you want to use them? And he's like, abso-frickin-lutely. And, uh, yeah, so that that's, <laughs> that is why. And, um... Yeah, so she was reactivated in uh, 1986, and uh, she spent the first part of 1980 conducting training exercises in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Puerto Rico before returning to the Philadelphia Naval Shar Shipyard for post-recommissioning shakedown uh, that lasted the rest of the year. And in mid-1990, she participated in a fleet exercise, so life was kind of lame. But then again, in August on August 2nd, 1990, Iraq decided that they'd like to invade Kuwait, and uh, the U.S. military decided that they'd like to stop them from doing that, so the USS Wisconsin went to war once again. Um, so this was just keeping uh, with the Carter Doctrine, saying that, you know what, if you mess with our interests in the Middle East, we are going to mess with you. Um, yeah, so she was uh, dispatched with uh, several hundred thousand troops uh, to Saudi Arabia and the Persian Gulf, and uh, this was a multinational uh, force that was going to stop Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein from messing with Kuwait. Uh, yeah, so this this was bad news for Iraq, <laughs> especially when Operation Desert Storm commenced on the 15th of January 1991. Uh, Wisconsin served as the operational uh, Tomahawk land attack missile uh, strike commander for the Persian Gulf, and it just directed the sequence of launchers marking the opening of Operation Desert Storm and firing a total of 24 of our own uh, Tomahawk. Uh, cruise missiles during the first two days of the campaign. And Wisconsin also assumed the responsibility of local anti-surface warfare coordinator for the Northern Persian Gulf uh, Action Group. Uh, she was then escorted by the Oliver Hazard Perry class frigate USS Nicholas. Uh, yes, different than the uh, destroyer that's in the game, USS Nicholas, because that destroyer never existed. Uh, and it relieved Missouri on the uh, 6th of February 1991, uh, 1991 to answer her first combat call for gunfire support since the March of 1952. Uh, she sent 11 shells 19 miles to destroy an Iraqi artillery battery in southern Kuwait during the mission called in by US, Miller, uh, U.S. Marine Corps OV-10 Bronco aircraft. Uh, she flew that RQ-2 Pioneer aircraft as a spotter in combat for the first time uh, on the 7th of February and destroyed an Iraqi communications compound. Uh, she fired 24 shells at Iraqi artillery sites, missile facilities, and electronic warfare sites along the coast. And she also uh, targeted naval sites with her 16-inch guns, uh, firing a total of 50 rounds in uh, sinking 15 Iraqi boats, which is one of her first, I believe, one of her first surface engagements uh, in the latter half of that century. Actually, if not the first surface 
service engagement in the latter half of the, of the 20th century, uh, destroyed several piers uh, as well. And this was on the night of the 7th of February. Um, she also was called in by coalition forces uh, for gunfire support. Uh, she, on the 9th of February, again, blasting bunkers and artillery sites and shelling Iraqi troop positions near Kajafi after the Iraqis were ousted from the sea by Saudi and Qatari armor. Uh, yeah, so it's just interesting to know, to think about how different of enemies that this ship fought. Um, she fought in the South Pacific, she fought in the North Pacific, and now she's fighting in the desert sun of the Middle East. It's just, it, it is really interesting, um, how widespread of a career this ship had. Almost wider than any other ship, save for the other Iowa-class battleships. On the 21st of February, the, one of the Wisconsin's UAVs, which remember, she had eight of them, um, observed that there were several trucks resupplying an Iraqi command post and thought that, no, that cannot be, and fired more shells at these uh, at this command post and at the trucks, leveling ten of the buildings. Uh, they actually, Wisconsin and Missouri alternated positions on the gun, uh, gun line, uh, using their 406mm shells to destroy uh, enemy targets along the coastline for a possible amphibious assault that actually never happened. Uh, but it, it's just crazy. I mean, there was 24-7 gunfire support when these troops needed it. Uh, and there was still uh, breaks for the ship's crew members because the other battleship would just take... Um, uh, to take a, a position uh, while they were uh, resting, which is kind of interesting. Uh, just taking it in shifts, essentially. It's kind of funny. Um, yeah, so on the night of the 23rd of February, 1991, Missouri and Wisconsin turned their largest guns on Kuwait's uh, Felaka Island to support coalition forces there. Uh, and they were essentially going to conduct a diversionary assault aimed at convincing Iraqi forces uh, that coalition forces were preparing to launch an amphibious evasion. And as part of this attack, Missouri and Wisconsin were to direct... Uh, are directed to shell known Iraqi defensive positions on the island. Uh, so Missouri essentially went ahead and completed her shelling. Uh, Wisconsin was going to uh, start shelling. And she remember, she is still over the horizon from these Iraqi troops. They cannot see her. Um... Uh, launched her, she launched her RQ-2 Pioneer, um, you know, to conduct a routine spotting mission. Uh, Wisconsin's drone approached Vailaka Island. Uh, the pilot drone was instructed to fly the vehicle low over Iraqi positions so soldiers would know that they are once again being targeted by a battleship. Iraqi positions on the ground heard the Pioneer's buzzing, uh, distinctive of pretty much any drone that's electrically powered, uh, or actually powered by any small engine, um, was uh, they heard the buzzing sound, which apparently was fairly distinctive. Um, they uh, witnessed, and having witnessed the Missouri's uh, effectiveness, we'll call it, uh, decided to signal their willingness to surrender by waving makeshift white flags, uh, t-shirts, bedsheets, literally anything they could find. And uh, that was um, that was dutifully noted aboard the Wisconsin. It was a a matter of pride as well as a matter of comedy. And um, they they and uh, um, men assigned to the drones uh, uh, air crew called the Wisconsin's commanding officer, who at the time was uh, David S. Bill the third, and uh, asked uh, they asked, "Sir, they want to surrender. What should I do with them?" Uh, they um, uh, they decided that they would actually capture the troops and honor their uh, attempt to surrender. Um, 
This would be the first time, the first recorded time, that troops had surrendered to a drone controlled by a ship that they couldn't even see. That's kind of interesting. Um, and the next day, Wisconsin answered two separate call fire support missions for coalition forces, uh, and uh, they suppressed two uh, uh, Iraqi uh, positions in uh, two different bunkers. And... Um, and after witnessing the effects of Wisconsin's strike against Iraqi positions, uh, a Saudi commander commented on the radio, I wish we had a battleship in our Navy. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Saudi Arabia has never had a battleship. And over the course of the war, um, the short war, uh, one million pounds of ordnance had been delivered on Iraqi targets by express mail at 768 meters a second. Um, by the time that President George H.W. Bush had ended hostilities on the 28th of February, and uh, the last salvo fired by any battleship in world history in combat, actually in history, would be fired by USS Wisconsin, and uh, this marked the, essentially made her the last battleship in world history to see any form of action, ending almost a hundred years of battleship, in or more than a hundred years, almost 130 years of battleship innovation and development and obsolescence. Uh, she was one of the last battleships to ever be constructed, and certainly, as I said before, the last one to be used. And um, uh, Wisconsin remained in the Persian Gulf after the ceasefire took effect, returning home on the 20th of March 1991. Uh, during the eight months that she spent in the Persian Gulf, she flew 348 UVR hours, recorded 660 one safe helicopter landing steam 46,000 nautical miles or 53,000 normal miles 85,000 kilometers fired fired 319 16 inch 400 or 406 millimeter rounds 881 5 inch rounds and 50 5220 mm uh phalanx uh, close in weapon system rounds and additionally launched 24 tomahawk cruise missiles and um all four remaining battleships were then decommissioned and stricken following the Gulf War. And, um, yeah, so that, that was the end of USS Wisconsin. Uh, this was the last time the battleships ever participated in a war. And essentially, effectively, United States War. Um, and essentially, the collapse of the Soviet Union in the 1990s meant that the perceived threat to the United States came to... Uh, basically nothing and drastic cuts in the u.s military budget meant that the high cost of maintaining and operating battleships which was said to be around a million dollars a day um meant that they were they were basically uneconomical for what they were able to do she was decommissioned on the 30th of september 1991 after a total of 14 years of active service and joined the reserve fleet at the philadelphia naval shipyard once again after sitting there for 30 years uh, she was stricken from the naval register on Jul 20, uh, the 12th of July 1995, and then on the 15th of October 1996 was moved to the Norfolk Naval Shipyard. And on the 12th of February 1998 was, was then restored to the Naval Wrestle Register. On the 7th of December 2000, the ship was towed from Portsmouth, Virginia uh, to a berth adjacent to the Nauticus, the Naval Maritime Center, to be turned into a uh, museum ship, a floating museum. Um... Yeah, so uh, 
She is still, at the time, she was still owned by the Navy and considered a part of the Mothball fleet and thus a active warship, technically. Uh, well, okay, I shouldn't say active warship, but she was still considered a warship. Uh, so she was also named, along with Iowa, as one of the two U.S. Navy battleships to be maintained according to U.S. Navy Reserve Fleet Standards with, uh, in accordance with the National Defense Act or Authorization Act of 1996 uh, as shore bombardment vessels. Uh, however, she was 60 years old at the time and would have required extensive modernization to return the, to the fleet uh, because most of her technology dated back to World War II. They did not actually modify the fire control systems in uh, when she was modernized in the 1990s um, because it was so good. The mechanical computers were incredibly precise, uh, said to be more precise than any computer that they had at the time um, for, for targeting gunfires especially of the 16-inch variety. Um, but it still meant that she would cost $1.5 billion to modernize and return to service. Um, so uh, on the 17th of March 2006, the Secretary of the Navy exercised his authority uh, to strike the Iowa and Wisconsin from the National uh, Navy Register. And uh, essentially this cleared the way for them to be donated for U.S. Uh, uh, museum or as U.S. Navy museums, but it was interesting is the U.S. Congress remained quote deeply concerned over the loss of naval gunfire support, like significant naval gunfire support that the battleships provided, and note that the Navy efforts to improve upon and much less replace this could be capability capability have been um, highly problematic. Highly problematic. So in 2006, the Navy authorized the National Defense Authorization Act of 2006 that required that the battleships, both Iowa and Wisconsin, be kept and maintained in a state of readiness should they ever be needed again. Congress had ordered that the following measures be implemented to ensure that Wisconsin could be returned to active duty if needed. She must One, she must not be altered in any way to impair her military utility. Uh, two, the battleship must be uh, in preserved in her present condition through the use of cathodic protection to human notification systems, and any other preservation methods needed. Three, spare parts and other unique equipment, such as the 16-inch 406mm gun uh, barrels and projectiles, must be preserved in adequate numbers to support USS Wisconsin if reactivated. And five, the Navy must prepare plans for a rapid reactivation of Wisconsin should she uh, be returned to the Navy in an event of a national emergency. So yes, the U.S. Navy has kept 1950s-era vintage shells in storage just for these ships even though they're technically okay they're kind of military property they're kind of not but um yes they um yeah so essentially she's still mostly part of the mothball fleet and um yeah at least until 2009, the 14th of December 2009, when the U.S. Navy officially transferred uh, the Wisconsin to the city of Norfolk and ended the requirement for the ship to be preserved for a possible recall to active duty. Uh, she's still in very, very good condition, I will say that, um, I, from being there. Uh, but she is listed on a National Register of Historic Places as of the 20th of March 2012. Um, yeah, so she... Um, is now a permanent museum and has essentially ridden off into the sunset. Uh, and she is in just, I can say she still is in condition to be recalled if she would need to be. Um, like I said, highly unlikely that's ever going to happen, but, uh, she kind of rode off into the sunset, uh, and serves today as a museum ship and will likely serve for many years to come. 
So that is all on USS Wisconsin. Very interesting, very colorful history for this ship. And probably, arguably, the most colorful history of any battleship. Uh, nearly 60 years of service, um, both active and reserve. Uh, longest existence of you know, one of the longest active existences of any battleship, um, and certainly uh, the most modern battleship in the world. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments. Uh, or any ship suggestions for the future, please feel free to email me at rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com, and I will catch you next time. Captains!